so guys, I came around in a big way on something that I did not think I was going to do, and I'll explain why. I'm Pete Mundo. The show is Heartland College Sports Weekly. The website is heartlandcollegesports.com, where your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. We appreciate you guys being here and joining us on the show. And I admit, I never thought I'd be on board with this. I never thought I'd be a fan of this. But I wrote about it, and that is the idea of the Big 12 expanding. And if it is going to expand, if it is serious about the idea of expansion, first off, don't be the last one to leave the party, okay? Don't be the ones that are sitting there after everybody else has done everything and be like, ah, boy, what are we going to do here? You know, I told you last week, I was like, or was it two weeks ago? I don't know. I got a new baby at home. So the days and the weeks have kind of molded together. But I told you guys in the last couple of weeks that the Big 12 could afford in realignment 10 years ago to lose Nebraska, to lose A&M, and still be okay, right? They can't lose Texas or Oklahoma, then it's over. Then the Big 12 basically is no longer the Big 12 as we know it as a Power 5 conference and from a revenue standpoint. But if the Big 12 is serious about not being left behind this time around, here's what it's got to do. If they want to go east and they want to try to dive into SEC territory and ACC territory like the SEC did to them when they took away Texas A&M and they took away Missouri, I'm open to it. I, I, I admit that I was being a little stodgy. I was being a little, uh, uh, you know, rigid in saying, no, I like the Big 12. It's the heartland and uh, – it's it's regional and you can drive to a game on the weekend. Like I admit, that is something that I long for. Even as a millennial, I get a little old man like that sometimes where it's like, no, I want it to be regional. I want to drive to a game and I want to, you know, uh, know that everybody is of the same culture and mindset. Uh, but that's just not the way of the world anymore. It's not. So while I still love the Big 12 as it is, And I don't think this is necessary unless chips start falling around college football and expansion becomes more and more likely. The Big 12 should look east and should be open to the UCF Knights. That's University of Central Florida. And there's a few reasons for that. First off, the state of Florida is absolutely booming. We all know that. One of the most popular states in the country right now. The I-4 corridor, which is... uh, I-4, Interstate 4, goes from the east side of the state to the west side of the state. It crosses Tampa to Orlando and through there. It's a rapidly growing part of the state. It's where UCF draws in a lot of people right there in Orlando and in the Orlando area and Central Florida in general, hence the name. Uh, This is the play. Go in the SEC territory. Go in to the state of Florida And say, no, I know you guys in the SEC and to a lesser degree the ACC think you own this state. We're coming for you. All right? Now, you're going to laugh and say, oh, they got the Florida Gators. They got Florida State. I mean, you could have fun with UCF, a group of five program. don't, Don't kid yourself. UCF has a darn good thing going down there. I mean, they've played in uh, New Year's Six games. They've got a very good program. Now three coaches strong, Scott Frost in the Josh Heupel. And now they've got Gus Malzahn. And Gus Malzahn is doing things at UCF that Scott Frost and uh, Josh Heupel did not do. All right, so Gus Malzahn, I don't know if you guys knew this, but in the last couple of weeks, Gus Malzahn 
got UCF to have 15 official visitors and nearly a dozen unofficial visitors to campus. That list included one five-star recruit and over a dozen more four-star guys. That would be an impressive haul if those guys were going to any Big 12 school not named Oklahoma or Texas to welcome in a five-star prospect and over a dozen four-star guys. That would be a very impressive haul. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, if that was Iowa State, that was TCU, Tech, Oklahoma State, we'd be like, whoa, big deal. It's UCF. Out of the group of five. And they're only making on their TV contract from the AAC about $7 bucks uh, per year. Imagine taking UCF and giving it Big 12 revenues of 35 to $40 million bucks per year. You're telling me that UCF then could not take itself even further and be a team that's competing for recruits in Florida, like Florida State and Florida and Georgia and Alabama? Why couldn't they? With that type of a revenue bump, look at what they're doing with a $7 million a year TV haul. You give them five times that, and it's only going to get better for them. And it allows them to keep guys like Gus Malzahn. Instead of, you know, having their coaches leave for the next Power 5 job, they could keep guys like this. And they're already recruiting this well and doing this good of a job, at least getting these guys to consider UCF in a way that they hadn't ever before. I mean, to me, that's impressive. And what it also does for the Big 12 is it opens up the state of Florida even further, all right? Because you would then have – now, West Virginia has always – had a good pipeline to Florida. It lost a little bit of that luster under Dana Holgerson. In the Big East days, West Virginia uh, loved recruiting the state of Florida. It's lost some of that. But West Virginia, natural fit to recruit Florida. Um, The rest of the Big 12 maybe doesn't think about Florida, but it opens up Florida. And you know what? Right now, the state of Texas is not just a Big 12 state. The SEC invades Texas now, especially Houston. All right? They go into Texas, and they take some of the top players. Why can't the Big 12 now have a chance at getting some of the top guys out of the state of Florida where there's a lot of talent and get them to the Big 12? They, they can do it, and this will give them at least a – it won't change the game completely, but they'll at least have an anchor program there that, uh, you know, they can say, hey, you get a road game a year back in the state, you see mom and dad, uh, you see a lot of the family, bring them on out. I mean – not a road game every year, every other year, whatever it might be. But you see what I mean? There's a there's a connection there that there would not have been. And that's valuable to some recruits, to some families, um, and to some teams as well. So I was looking at this, and I'm like, geez, you know, this suddenly makes sense. And I get it. You know, it's, it's not a, a road trip you can do for the weekend. But at the same time, you go down to Orlando – Uh, that's a nice family trip, by the way. You want to hit up Disney World, make a long weekend out of it, catch a ball game. It's a good place. To me, it's better than going to Tallahassee for the weekend. All right? Better going to Gainesville for a weekend. Been to either of those places? I haven't, and they're not on the top of my list. Now, my folks used to live in the Orlando area, so I know the Orlando area pretty well, and it's a pretty rapidly rapidly growing city, rapidly growing metro. A lot going on. You've got pro sports teams down there. You have a huge, huge enrollment base at UCF. They have worked hard to get kids on campus versus just being a commuter school. 
And that's also change in the game. That's similar to what Houston's trying to do. And, of course, Houston would love an invite to the Big 12. And I actually would be okay with that. Just thinking off the top of my head here, if you got Houston to try to sure up that part of the state, um, and then if you got UCF to start dipping your toes in the Florida, I, I think that's underrated when you talk about additions. Now, it'd also be open to Memphis and Cincinnati, and, and I'm not, you know, uh, setting my flag firmly on Houston or UCF, but I'm just thinking about those big commuter schools that are trying to make the inroads and get the kids on campus and things of that nature. Uh, And those are two schools that are looking to do it, right? So if you're the Big 12 and you're trying to make that move, uh, that's where you want to do it. If you want to, it's like buying stocks. If you want to find that stock where you say, hey, I I, I don't want to buy Amazon right now. I don't want to buy Apple right now. I don't, everyone's done that. I don't want to buy Google right now, Facebook. Where's my next hot tech stock, right? That's what everyone wants to know. Well, if I'm looking around the college football landscape and I can't get Missouri back and I can't get Nebraska back and I can't get Colorado back, um, I can't, I mean, A&M, forget it. They would never come back. And I don't want to go down to the state of Arizona. Well, if I want to go east, and I'm looking for that next hot stock. UCF is it. Now, there's been some discussion that, well, what's the benefit to UCF? If they expand the college football playoff, UCF will have a better chance to get in based on at least some, some of what the discussions are right now than if, uh, if they go to the Big 12. As I noted earlier, UCF has 30-plus million reasons to want to get in to a Big 12 to a Power 5 conference. Money, that's why. You think they'd rather stay in the AAC for 7 million bucks a year and have a better chance at the playoff than get another 30-plus million dollars a year? And it might be a little tougher to get to the playoff, but they would still have a great chance of getting in. And how it would work right now, what they're talking about here, is the basic thought is automatic bids for the major five conferences – Uh, which juices up the league title games as play-ins, and for the highest-ranked Group of Five champion. The other six spots would be at-large bids, and that could include UCF as a highly-ranked Group of Five champion, or they could get an at-large bid as well. I mean, both are possible. But being in the Big 12 opens up doors for them in a way that uh, it did not do even just a couple of years ago. UCF would be on its hands and knees begging the Big 12 first shot to get into this thing and and come to this conference. So I'm not saying it's happening tomorrow. I'm not saying the Big 12 has to force it because there is a a continuity to the 10 teams, the round robin, uh, the one true champion that I really do like, and I think it works for this conference. But if we're going to get another round of realignment, I don't want to see the Big 12 get left behind. I don't want to see it get blown up because they are left holding the bag. And then the Big 12 ceases to exist or it becomes a group of five type of deal. I don't want to see that. All those things matter, completely matter. So keep an eye on it. And, um, of course, we'll keep you updated on it as well here at heartlandcollegesports.com. I'm Pete Mundo. hope you guys are doing well this week. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Big 12 Media Days is a month from this week, and we cannot wait to be there. Oh, man, that's going to be fun. Gosh, we're going to have so much content for you. It's going to be crazy. Uh, Coming up next, can we get this rivalry back? 
One athletic director says yes. We'll tell you who coming up on Heartland College Sports Weekly. And before we continue, please, after the show, uh, take a moment out, leave a rating and a review on this podcast. Also hit that subscribe button because when you do, you help us in the podcast rankings on iTunes and and, uh, Spotify and places like that. And this show is growing and we're beating the big dogs at their own game because of you. You are helping make this happen. Those uh, subscriptions, those ratings, those reviews, they help us tremendously. And that's why I'm sending you a free koozie, a Heartland College Sports koozie, when you do that. Just send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, and we'll uh, we'll get that in the mail for you guys. Appreciate it, and um, we'll keep the show rolling here. Well, it's the offseason, so it's a chance to, yes, bring up the fact that Texas and Texas A&M have not played in almost a decade and do not appear to be ready to play each other anytime soon. I'm Pete Mundo. Heartland College Sports Weekly is the show. HeartlandCollegeSports.com is the site. It's great to have you guys on board and uh, joining us here for another week. So, Chris Del Conte, the Texas Athletic Director, he said this week on a radio interview on the Horn down there in Austin that um, it would be great for college athletics if Texas and Texas A&M would get back on the schedule. And he wants to schedule them. And he's exactly right. The game and the rivalry goes beyond these two programs. Even the Big 12 and the SEC in many ways. It'd be just a great deal for anyone who's a college sports fan. It'd be a great deal. I remember where I was on the last um, uh, last time these two teams played, Thanksgiving 2011. I was working in Woodward, Oklahoma at K101 Radio. Love my friends there. And we were watching the game on Thanksgiving. I was actually watching the game with a guy who uh, uh, played for uh, the Longhorns back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, was part of Mac Brown's first recruiting class. And since then, the game has not been played. And that's just, it's, it's really a shame. But while Texas wants to play it, A&M has no incentive. There's no incentive for A&M to step on the field against Texas, all right? Because... A&M is basically saying their their pitch to recruits to everybody is we're really the staple program in Texas because we're in the SEC. See, doesn't matter what we win, but we're in the SEC and that's what matters. And look at us. And oh, yeah, you see how good Alabama is. Yeah, we're in the SEC. Uh, That's what they do. That's 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 their pitch. All right. They want to be the flagship program in the state and they do it on the backs of the SEC. That's what they do. So uh, what is their incentive to get on the field against Texas? The answer is none. Meantime, it is tough because both these teams have loaded uh, non-conference schedules, basically full non-conference schedules. The Longhorns have a Power 5 non-conference game on the schedule every year through 2023. Texas A&M has one lined up through 2029. So there's not a lot of opportunities. Now, it doesn't mean you can't have another non-conference Power 5 game, but that would be a – I mean, that would be a hell of a schedule – especially for the Big 12 when you've got nine conference games. The SEC has eight conference games because, well, you know, the SEC. I mean, they're so tough, they only need eight conference games, you see? I mean, the fact that they still get away with that garbage is unbelievable. But they do, and the media never calls them out on it. The SEC plays eight conference games. But, hey, I mean, it's the mighty rough-and-tumble SEC. I mean, what do you, you can't ask us to play nine conference games. What do you think this is here? You can't be doing that. I mean, come on now. That's that's uh, You can't be doing that. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what they do, okay? And they've been doing it for a long time and getting away with it for a long time. Yeah, A&M's non-conference. Kent State, Colorado, New Mexico, and Prairie View A&M in late November. Yeah, four non-conference games. Don't forget that for the SEC. But anyway, they could still make it work. But it'd be a tough slog. It'd be a very tough schedule. Although with the expanded playoff, I do believe, and not that it's here yet, but one thing the expanded playoff would also do is it would encourage teams to play even more tough non-conference games because basically, I, you know, you, you could get into the playoff with two losses, theoretically. You know, you could still do that. And uh, that does create more opportunities for a game like this being played. Now, something else Chris Del Conte pointed out here that could be a sticking point as well is that uh, getting AM on the schedule, where do you play if you even get there? The last game between the two teams was played in College Station. It'd be tough enough to get AM willing to restart the, the series. Would they do it in Austin? Now, they should. The last one was in College Station. I mean, that's just seems very reasonable to me but once again don't bring reason into this conversation because that's that's not how this works it's got to work on emotion and it's got to work on the aggies emotion okay so uh that's 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 what's at play here and that's what's going on i i don't think it's likely but it really is a shame that everybody can't get on the same page with this and just uh you know realize it'd be great for not just these two teams and their fan bases but great for the Great for the sport as well, and that's ultimately what should be uh, of importance. Speaking of Texas, did you see this? Did you see that they had uh, Arch Manning on campus last weekend? Damn. Dude was throwing dimes. Yes, the son of Cooper Manning, the nephew of Peyton and Eli Manning, top recruit prospect, uh, top quarterback prospect in the class of 2023. He was on the 40 Acres with Steve Sarkeesian, and I... Looking at him in the burnt orange looks pretty darn good, if I do say so myself. Looks pretty darn good. So, uh, you know, can they get him? I don't know. But I'll put it this way. I don't think that Steve Sarkeesian, or I should say I don't think Tom Herman, who is a solid recruiter, but based on if Tom Herman was going into this year, right, where he'd be a lame duck, I don't think that Tom Herman is getting Arch Manning to campus. I don't. I don't think that's that would be in play. So that's just something to kind of note here as we um, look at what's going on in the offseason, look at what's happening on that front and say, okay, what what happens now? What happens next? Well, he's recruiting well. And the fact that these guys are going to campus uh, says something about what they think about Steve Sarkeesian, what he's building, what he can build, and where this program is at moving forward. Meantime, our guy Derek Duke put together a list on the site, the worst Big 12 football coaching hires since 2012. And, you know, you're looking at this thing, and there's only so many options, right? I mean, let's be honest. There's only only so many names that we can all pick from on this list. So you're going to naturally have a Kansas slant to this list. I'm not trying to knock the Jayhawks here too much, but that's just the reality, right? So he put together this list, and I'll tell you what I, uh, what I think about it. His top five, our guy Derek Duke's top five worst Big 12 football hires over the past 10 years, Les Miles, number one, Charlie Weiss, number two, Charlie Strong, number three, Texas, of course. Uh, we got Kansas, Kansas, Texas. David Beatty, number four, Tom Herman, number five. So 
my first inkling here, and and the biggest uh, beef that I have is I would make Charlie Weiss number one over Les Miles. Les Miles was doing a decent job, actually a pretty solid job recruiting high school kids, knowing this rebuild could not be done with just a bunch of JUCO guys, plug and play. I mean, no one had done it for a, a decade, so try something different, try to grow the program the right way. And while maybe you can say they didn't do their due diligence on hiring Les Miles from LSU, you basically, uh, I, I, I don't think that's entirely fair. The Les Miles thing blew up on them, and it just shocked basically everybody, right? So I, I can't sit here and say, well, you know, the Miles thing, yes, it ended really poorly, and it's an embarrassment with how it ended. No doubt about it. No question about it. It ended really poorly and embarrassingly. But I, I, I can't totally say that they're at fault because it all came out, of course, with that report from LSU. Charlie Weiss was a horrible hire. I mean, everybody knew that Charlie Weiss was not going to be a guy who was going to be hustling uh, the recruiting grounds all over the Midwest to get the diamonds in the rough and bring them to Lawrence. He just wasn't going to be that guy. And we all knew that. So outside of that, I like Derek's list. Uh, Charlie Strong was a bad hire. Beatty was an unimpressive hire. And Tom Herman didn't work out. So I think those are the obvious places to go. I would just flip one and two. Meantime, we'll get to the final thoughts here. And uh, which Big 12 teams would have made the playoff, theoretically, under a 12-team format the last seven years? We'll get to it coming up next. You know, it's funny when you look back on uh, the last seven years or so of the college football playoff and how the Big 12 would have fared, it's it's different than a lot of people might have thought. Good to be with you guys. Final few minutes here on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Great to be with you guys, as always, for a uh, another week. My goodness, they're flying by. So think about the Big 12 and where it's been since 2014, since the playoff came to be. If we had a 12-team playoff since the get-go, TCU and Baylor would have both been in the college football playoff. And I believe, and I know people are going to laugh at this who aren't Big 12 fans, but I believe TCU or Baylor would have been playing for a national championship that year. That's how good those two teams were. Uh, You go to 2015. OU was the four seed, and TCU would have joined them that year as well as the 11 seed. In 2016 a year that no Big 12 team made the 14 playoff, the Sooners would have gotten in as the number seven seed. In 2017 and 2018, Oklahoma would have remained the only Big 12 team that would have reached the postseason as the number two seed in 2017 and number three seed in 2018. In 2019, Baylor would have joined Oklahoma in the playoffs uh, because the Bears, of course, under Matt Rule, uh, would have been the number seven seed. And then last year, you would have had, yes, both Oklahoma and Iowa State in the playoff, as both would have been ranked inside the top 10. So you would have had a lot of different Big 12 teams outside of just Oklahoma make the playoff in the 12-team format. What's also interesting, the teams missing from the Big 12 in a college football playoff the last seven years, if it had been 12 teams. Oklahoma State, not in the playoff, even with 12 teams. The Cowboys um, only had one year they finished in the top 12. That was 2016. They were number 12 in the committee's final rankings, but that season no mid-major finish in the top 12, which means 
the highest-ranked mid-major champion would have supplanted number 12, in this case, Oklahoma State. So it would have been Western Michigan. Number 15 would have made the bracket at Oklahoma State's expense. And Texas would also not have made the playoff any of those years. Uh, TCU and Baylor each would have made two. And uh, you also would have had a scenario then where there would have been no Texas Longhorns. Think about that. You'd have Iowa State, TCU, Baylor, Oklahoma all making playoffs. And the Texas Longhorns would have not made the college football playoff, even with a 12-team format the past seven years. That is uh, pretty wild to think about. But it just would have been so much fun. Now, I still believe that eight's the better play, as I've told you guys before, when we look at not losing the greatness of the college football regular season uh, at the expense of the playoffs. But still, it's fascinating to see that Oklahoma State and, and Texas, obviously, I think of two of the more premier programs in the conference, especially Texas with how they recruit, but would have not made the 12-team playoff. By the way, some other numbers to look at here. The Big Ten uh, outpaces the SEC. The Big Ten would have placed more teams, that's 20 in the bracket, over the seven years than would have the SEC. I didn't see that coming. And don't tell that to Paul Feinbaum, okay? Paul Feinbaum will be like, let me crunch those numbers for you. I don't believe that for a second. Hey, it, all right, Paul. No, that's actual facts, all right? We've looked them up, believe it or not. I, I know. I know we're Big 12 guys. We can't look up numbers and facts, but uh, we actually can, you know? Well, you guys are marrying your cousins. We're doing some math over here, all right? So it's all good. We understand it. But don't tell that to ESPN. They won't report it either. Uh, then in 2015 and 2016, Alabama would have been the lone SEC team in the field. And by the way, if you think that'll happen in the real world in a 12-team playoff, you're kidding yourself. Kidding yourself. There's no way there would be less than two SEC teams in every playoff with 12 teams. As I mentioned last week, the 12-team format is built for the SEC. That's what it's built for. And the Pac-12 would have been shut out in 2020. Think about that. Pac-12 would not have had a single team in the 2020 bracket. Now, yes, it was a slow season because of COVID and all that stuff, but still, that's pretty interesting when you think about it, uh, to not have a Pac-12 team. That's crazy. And um, it's just really interesting when you actually start crunching some of these numbers and looking at them and saying, yeah, maybe the same teams would have dominated, but the four-team number can't stand because I'm so sick of it being the same Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, maybe Oklahoma. I, it's just it's it's repetitive, it's predictable, and it hasn't done for the sport what I thought it was going to do. So this is coming. It is coming fast. It is happening, and it's going to be here before we know it. It's not going to happen next year. The earliest is 2023, but we should all start preparing for it right now. I'm Pete Mundo. Heartland College Sports Weekly is our show. HeartlandCollegeSports.com is the site. We're your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. We appreciate you guys each and every week. And I hope that you'll also uh, leave us a rating and a review on this show and subscribe. I got maybe the nicest uh, review we've ever received on this show last week. I'll read it to you here. I want to share it to you. Uh, and the person didn't put a name down. They just commented, best Big 12 podcast ever, writing... When my West Virginia Mountaineers joined the Big 12 a few years back, I thought it was a strange fit. We're geographically separated from most of the teams by hundreds of miles. 
Then I learned about the commitment the Big 12 fans bring to the table for their teams, whether it's the Texas Longhorns fans, the Oklahoma State Cowboys fans. They're dedicated to their teams. It's sad that there aren't as many Big 12-specific podcasts and news outlets that cover just this conference, but it seems like there are a 1,000 SEC outlets. Big 12 has a holy trinity, top-tier football, basketball, baseball. Being an avid WVU fan and a college sports fan in general, I only follow Heartland and a handful of WVU blogs. Pete's charismatic, knowledgeable, is genuinely fun to hear his take on things. That's very nice. He doesn't let any schools go by the wayside either. Even Kansas football gets a shout-out now and then. I recommend to any hardcore NCAA or Big 12 sports fan, maybe the nicest podcast review ever. Can you top that one? You don't have to, seriously. But these do make all the world of difference. They do. And they help us tremendously, and that's why we'll send free koozies to you when you leave me a rating and a review and send me a screenshot of it to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Appreciate you guys, and we will talk to you next week.